0: Hello and, Hello and welcome, welcome to another, another episode of Marriage on, on and a Tightrope. Tight I'm Katie. And I'm
1: Alan. And we're, we're talking at the same time. Mar-
0: Shoot. Well, we try to give it a shot. Uh, <laughs> welcome to another episode, everybody. We are excited to have Chelsea and Danny Anderson on the podcast today. But before we get to the interview, which was great, we would like to that just...
1: Spanish R is really coming out. Okay. It was more
0: Tony the Tiger. Yeah, he doesn't really... Anyway, yeah. So we would like to uh, give you a brief update on a series of podcast episodes that we are going to be doing next week. And also, it's not really an apology, more of an explanation of why it's been taking so long. So we've been trying to do these Word of Wisdom episodes.
1: It's a huge subject with so many facets. And believe me, we have explored many different ways to handle this. And... You know, we think we've come up with a good a good way. We're going to do a series of them. And the first episode, we have included a panel of people who have all experienced going through Word of Wisdom with their spouse and how they handled it. And that will be out next week.
0: Right. Uh, a second episode. Well, there's going to be three total. Uh, The next two episodes are going to be just Katie and I talking about our experience, either negotiating how Word of Wisdom is going to be, or talking through our feelings, things like that. And a last episode is, and we haven't gotten confirmation from this person yet, so we're not going to say who it is just yet, but we're going to have a more of an expert in the field come on and talk about Word of Wisdom from a physiological and uh, even
1: health th- benefits, yeah, all, exactly. all of that. So
0: we want to have a very thoughtful approach here. So we're going to try to attack it from all different angles.
1: You know, we thought about getting into historical, you know, what has the church said about it, that sort of thing. But here's the deal: there are many podcasts out there that already fit this bill, and as all of you know what we try to do is we try to stay away from any truth claim things mm-hmm. historical or not we just we we just uh find what has worked best for us or for other couples or what a professional could give us as far as their opinion or their expertise, or the data. So that is why we are going to steer clear of the doctrinal historical piece of it.
0: Right. So if you want to learn all that stuff, I mean, you can go read DNC 89. That's a good place to start. You can go to Fair Mormon or whatever other podcast you know about to to read about just the chronological. That's what we were going to do is walk through chronologically what the Word of Wisdom and how it's been practiced over the years just to better understand it. It's interesting, but not the purpose of this podcast. And
1: in preparation, Al and I did do that, but we just haven't – hasn't sat right with us to talk about it on our podcast. So you – can definitely find lots of resources for that if you want if you would like
0: so look forward to that uh, do you have any other announcements love or love my life
1: uh well I think we'll do a whole episode on this but we are in our last week of our group workshop on a tightrope it has gone so well it
0: has been great.
1: We've received positive feedback. We've also received suggestions to make it better for next time, which we will take in stride and we will do. And the best news of all is we've decided to do another class.
0: We have. We're going to do another class. It'll be a couple of months from now. So look for the registration soon. We'll talk about it. Uh, But we were going to wait a little bit longer than we are ending up waiting. So we're going to wait like six months to do another one. But... There were a lot of couples we had to turn away. So I think that there's plenty, a lot of people that want to to get going. So we talked to Natasha. She's game for it. So if you were one of those couples that wanted to join and didn't have a chance to because we filled up, uh, we will be doing another round here starting in late July. So look for details there.
1: Yeah, we'll go ahead and move on to the interview.
0: Now we are very happy to welcome Danny and Chelsea Anderson to Marriage on a Tightrope. Danny and Chelsea, thanks for joining us.
2: Hi, thanks for having us on. Thank
0: you, you guys can't uh, see them, but we can. We're digging what you guys are putting out. Danny, you've got an awesome, I know it's not about looks these days. There's much more to it. You got this awesome denim button-up that's super dope. You guys have got a painting above your heads that looks like it'd be hung in a chapel. It's like super high quality. It's nice. I'm not, I'm not convinced you're not in a steak center to be honest (laughs) based on the quality of the, of the painting. But uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. Yeah. Happy to be here. Uh, For those wondering who Danny and Chelsea are, they're in a mixed faith marriage. Is that a surprise? Shocking. Shocking. Mm -hmm. And um, Chelsea posted a few months ago in our Facebook group about a talk that she was going to be giving. Uh, pretty soon, uh, thereafter, in sacrament meeting at in her ward, and the topic of the talk was very intriguing. And so we wanted to interview them, get to know them a little bit, and then actually Chelsea was kind enough to record the talk for us. Not during the talk, but she after the fact has recorded it recently, and we're going to. Uh, put that out there here as well, and we think it's absolutely fantastic, mm-hmm. so uh once again, I think we've said thank you five times, but thank you once again <laughs> uh, you. so let's get to know you guys um let's start it off. Where are you from? How are you raised? All the fun stuff first, Chelsea, <laughs> go ahead
2: yeah, I'll go first um so I was raised kind of everywhere. I was born in Virginia, and I was there until um kindergarten. We moved up to Michigan and we had this thing going on where it was Michigan during the school year, Virginia during summers and Christmas. And we kind of went back and forth until, um, sophomore year of high school, we moved back to Virginia full-time and, um, and so, yeah, it it moved a lot. It kept things interesting. Um, I was born in the church, so It's, uh, very, it's, it's what I've always done. Um, very, very orthodox.
1: Did you go like when you went on vacation, did you go to church? (laughs) Is that the the level of orthodoxy?
2: Well, going to vacation was heading back to Virginia for the summer. Like all summer was vacation. I loved being there. Um, I, I can't actually think of any vacations that we took where we were gone on a Sunday. Hmm.
0: So even more so. Yeah. So
2: I mean it, it might it might have happened, but <laughs> sure, I sure. I can't remember.
0: Uh brothers and sisters?
2: <laughs> yes, I am one of five. I'm right in the middle.
0: Very nice. And
2: so yeah, nice. She's the coolest nice
3: one. Yeah. <laughs>
2: he has to think that I one.
3: like her whole family.
0: But she's the coolest. Bye-bye. But she's the coolest of them all. That's that's fun. That's don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great. So um so after you graduated high school or any any I don't know anything what what did the church mean to you growing up uh what was the youth like all that all that stuff kind of what was uh, the, your involvement there?
2: Yeah, I mean the church was everything to me. I um I remember spending summers You know, going to EFY, doing research on church history, I was especially fascinated with Joseph Smith and Nauvoo, Kirtland period type stuff. We took, it felt like a lot of trips to Kirtland uh, because when we were in Michigan, Kirtland's not that far. Right. Um, Went to Nauvoo and I always, I always just thought it was so cool. Um, I wanted to serve a mission, but the mission age was, um, Hadn't been lowered yet. And so, I got
0: to her first. Yeah, I got uh-huh.
2: to where that could happen. <laughs> so I I was all in, all in.
0: Yeah. Awesome. After high, well, it seems like you got married d- decently young before 19. 21. 19. <laughs> about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, anything else about your your upbringing that you'd like to, to share about, whether it's church late or not?
2: It was just—it was interesting. I, um, you know, we moved around a lot. I kind of started my own farm in high school, so that's where my passion lies. I love farming type stuff. That's—I love to put on blue jeans and put my hair in a ponytail and just go ride horses or get dirty. I don't love for my kids to get dirty, (laughs) but I love for me to get dirty. Yeah. So it's—it's a little harder to do that stuff living in the city, but. But that's my passion. I love to do that sort of stuff.
0: She's she's got a rabbit hutch out back.
2: Oh yeah, I raise rabbits.
0: Concurrently, right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we can do on the lot we've got.
3: People are going crazy buying them with the whole COVID pandemic. Yeah, oh, I can
0: imagine. So. so, how how many rabbits do you currently have? Shh, we can't tell. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, you have, you, have, you have the legal. You have the legal limit of rabbits.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's great.
2: <laughs> yeah, we just uh we just had a litter of 14 born a couple days ago so wow. it, it's a lot right now
0: that's where that phrase comes from huh so do you, like do you
1: throw them up on ksl like how do you sell them do people know
2: yeah i i can put them on ksl um but the demand has been such that people know me who have bought from me and they reach out to me and ask me if i've got stuff
0: cool Oh wow so,
2: it's uh spring's great.
0: We have a snake. Do you sell them for <laughs> feed?
2: I know some I know some people do. Um uh, I don't.
0: Good. It was good, a trick. Answer. good answer. It was a trick. We do actually have a, we do actually have a snake, but we would never do that. Never do that.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, snakes gotta eat too. That's a fun that's a fun little uh hobby slash pastime. That's great. I enjoy it. Yeah, love a little, it too. Make a little extra money. <laughs> I like
1: side hustles. Everyone needs a side hustle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, buddy, buddy hustle. <laughs> <Bye-bye>.
0: <laughs> How about you, Danny? Where did you grow up?
3: I actually grew up about ten minutes or less from here, over by the. Uh, well, anyways, ten minutes from where we're living now, in West Jordan. Um, I was I was raised. In, growing up my my dad wasn't actually an active member of the church; he was a member, and he like lived the way you would expect members to live. He just i guess didn't believe it at the time um but I was raised myself like fully orthodox fundamentalist mormon like hmm. I believed the earth was only six thousand years old till I was probably leaving on my mission. You
0: know? yeah so. did your dad return to activity at any point? He did.
3: Um, it, it's actually a really touching story. My grandpa Anderson died who I was in my teens, I don't think I was in high school, so like fourteen, fifteen. She would remember like the day, the month, and the year. I'm like, oh pre high school. Uh, my grandpa Anderson died and um my dad had some very spiritual experiences and and at that point uh decided he was gonna become fully active, do everything, you know, and but, but before that, I mean, he baptized me, right? Like, he, yeah. he ordained me and my brothers to the priesthood. Like
2: I didn't know that, actually. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. to me, it was just like this side, like growing up, like, oh, you know, dad's not fully orthodox to kind of a little bit of pity, which which now looking back, I feel almost embarrassed saying it, you know, Cause, sure. because he's such an incredible man. Right, and it's like, well, who care? Me, from my perspective, what do I care if he's going to a particular church? You know, or paying a particular church their, their tithing. Like, he was an amazing father. He is an amazing man, and and uh, he continues to be an amazing father to me. I am I'm very grateful for him. Um, yeah. So I, I was raised Orthodox. Went went on my mission, um, Lima, Peru. It was uh great place great people you know and then uh, came back and went to BYU and graduated and was still looking for a wife and very sad I hadn't found a wife because I was already graduated and...
2: good things were coming Man, <laughs> almost
3: a menace <laughs> good now I was I was definitely a menace by by Brigham Young standards <laughs> most <laughs> certainly um and and then I met Chelsea and uh, proposed to her and Got How did lucky. you mean? Yeah, how'd you mean? Singles Ward.
1: Singles uh, Ward.
3: It works. I I I remember talking to a guy in the ward about her. And uh and he was like, Oh yeah, she's she's a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. She's like, yes. Yeah, that describes <laughs> her well, and he's like she just needs one or two years, you know, and then then maybe I'd consider dating her. And I was like, oh, man, one or two years. Somebody else is going to be married to her. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't wrong, was he? That's, no. You know, that's not how it works. Um, Yeah, we, we dated for what felt like an eternity, but was in retrospect, very short time.
0: <laughs> how March
3: 30th short? was
2: our first date. Um. So March thirtieth, um, we went to comedy sports and then um we were married August twenty-first.
3: Wow. Told you she's got the dates
0: good. Wow what what year was this? Yeah, what year was that?
2: Two thousand
0: twelve. Man, I wonder if I was at that show.
2: (laughs) Probably not. Kelsey
0: was wondering earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe not. So that's great. So 2012, so you guys are coming up on on uh, eight years, just in a couple Mm -hmm. months. It's great. Wonderful.
1: So, okay. Um, I want to go back, Danny, because you said that you had a great mission. Were you pretty – like, did you ever have questions? Were you pretty orthodox (laughs) in your thinking? Like, to what degree were you involved, like, with the charter?
3: I I was – I was derogatorily referred to by some of the missionaries who I had very little respect for as a Pharisee, which in my mission meant you were too much of a reglista. reglista sorry. <laughs> my pronunciation is not as good as it used to be, but you were, you were too focused on keeping the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. So like if my companion was chewing, chewing gum, it's like elder, you know, that's against the rules. You know, and he'd be like, nobody's watching. I was like, spit that out. And like, I wouldn't I was spit. I watching elder. Right, get caught. I was, I was, I mean, I was every rule, right? Like, I would get up, do my exercises. The one rule I would break is I would let my companions sleep in for a half hour in the morning until I was like finished exercising and showered. And then I would get them up because you wake up a grumpy, you know, grumpy companion. That's just no, (laughs) no good. Be a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I was, I was. Like I said, I was fundamentalist. I was taught that dinosaur bones were not from this earth. They were from other planets by, you know, my family community group. Um, I,
2: people in the sun. Yeah.
3: yeah I, I believe that Brigham Young's teaching, there were people in the sun. They just had to be spirits by my justification, you know? Right. Like, right. Like probably till, till I was off my mission, you know? Um so I, I was, I mean, I was, I was all in, I never had doubts. I, you know, I, I grew up hearing little things from friends and stuff about Joseph Smith and polygamy or any of the other big things. And it just never, you know, you, there's the, you can always find a reason not to believe something, you know, regardless of whether it is true or not, you know, you right. can usually find a, a reason to justify it if the other person is just, casually mentioning something. Right. Man. Um, I remember one experience before I met Chelsea after I'd been graduated where a, uh, a friend, um, came over to our apartment and a really bright guy. Um, and he was talking about, uh, Joseph Smith, not translating something. And I, I won't go into the details. Cause I know everybody sure. either heard it too much or doesn't want to hear it again. <laughs> um, and I remember feeling the world just like disappear. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, this kind of disembodied, like you're floating in a black space. And I remember just, just thinking to myself, like feeling that and thinking to myself, no, I believe Joseph Smith is a prophet. And I said it out loud and it was like the ground hit my feet. You know, like a physical force. Um, and then I proceeded to argue with him, and was very eloquent in my arguments. In my opinion, eloquent enough, at least that he decided to give up trying. So, <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So, so I mean, I was, I was all in. And if I say so, I mean, so you know, one more time, you can tell me to stop because I feel like.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because, uh, as both of you know, when you when you end up getting married even if you're the same religion, you can still be mixed faith because you do things different ways. Did you guys find that in the, you know, at the beginning of your marriage when you're trying to fill each other out and maybe one's more strict about something than the other, or were you both on the same page?
3: (laughs) I I think for the most part, we were both on the same page. No.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I do feel, I do feel like it was never a drastic difference, but I did feel like you were actually a little more stringent about policies that. and, and things.
3: I'd agree um, with that. I mean,
2: it was, it was never drastic enough to cause conflict or anything yeah. like that. Just very little things.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> hey, can I, can I share that? The garments. <laughs> so when we would get uh, <laughs> married, we would, we would be, um, you know, romantic. Sure. And, afterwards i would feel like this sense of guilt because you know it's nice to cuddle with your wife and i would feel this sense of guilt that was like no i need to put my garments back on and so for for years i personally had this struggle with do i just like cuddle my wife and fall asleep or do i put my garments back on and, and <laughs> it was probably only about a year before i had my little faith crisis transition that i finally was just like no i just like cuddling my wife this feels nice
1: you know, what? you're not the only one. You're yeah. not the only one in that. I mean, Jana Reese, um she she wrote a book and in it it talks specifically about that. Oh, okay. yeah. so really? It yeah. was very shocking to me how many like millennials felt bad or wore garments while they were being intimate or during
0: a, during, during. <laughs> being oh, intimate. There's a warmer. large percentage of millennials, <laughs> almost 50%, that wear garments during intimacy. Ooh.
1: So I and mean, the research study
0: that she did. I'm pointing up here because that's where the book is, <laughs>
1: right? So I mean, I I can completely actually understand that because it's it's kind of surprising when you hear about it, and then you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a sense of guilt or that yeah. goes along with that for sure,
0: right? So uh, outside of that though, you're largely on the same page, and that's not even necessarily not on the same page. It's just I, that
3: was mostly internal for me, you know. Right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you, I mean, you mentioned that your—I mean—before we, we get to the faith crisis, but you mentioned your your faith crisis kind of started within a year of of getting married. No, right? it was it was three years, four years, um, longer.
2: Than it, I would say it started about two years ago, or is that fair?
0: Sounds about right. Okay, so a few so, yeah, a few years in. years in
2: five, six.
0: Yeah, so in that five, six years, um, any you know experiences that the way, I don't know, the way I say it is put chinks in either of your armors or what was your experience with, with the church during those few years?
3: Good. Mostly, you know, I, it's one of those things where, where, when you're in, you love it all. And when you're out, you still love, you know, a large portion of it. Um, even if the other portion from my perspective can be frustrating. Um, you know I, I i certainly don't dis I certainly disagree with people who call it evil. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any more evil than any other human organization is. Personally, um, I I guess for me the earliest uh, point at which things my faith my belief because right I, I was the I was the if God asked me to do something I would do it right if He told me to meet by cut off somebody's head I believed I would have done it. And the first point that changed for me was when we had our daughter, our, our first kid. And I remember being in a branch in Orem.
2: A branch. <laughs>
3: um, and, and Sunday, a branch right? in Orem. Right. Yeah. It makes sense, right? <laughs> um, and and having the, the Sunday school lesson be about Abraham's sacrifice. And I remember for the first time really considering, like, would I sacrifice my kid? Like, if President Monson called me, that was the prophet at the time, and said, you know, would you do this? And I remember raising my hand and talking about that in sacrament saying, would you do it? I don't know if I could, I don't know what my answer would be. And and that's actually a big thing for me that, that really has, that was not a breaking moment for me, but it was kind of a, a, a ground shifting moment or a seed planting moment because, mm-hmm. because it's something that, that for me became, sorry, I'm trying to keep this respectful towards the church as well. Of course. Um, For those who who still believe, for me, it was a moment where it became me taking responsibility for my own morality instead of just saying, I'm going to do what I've been taught. If that makes sense to everyone listening.
0: Complete, total sense. Very, I mean, it's very personal to you, I know, but it's a very common, and you express that very eloquently. So I'll stop trying to convince you like (laughs) that guy.
3: and, And at the time, it was just, it was just like a thought, right? It had nothing to do with my faith or my belief, but it, it really was a changing moment because that's probably the first time ever that I thought to my, for myself, this is something that I wouldn't do. You
0: yeah. Know? So as, as time went on, when did, it, when did it more boil to the surface? From there,
3: it just became little things piling up. And then the breaking moment was the book of Abraham. And I was not looking at anti-Mormon literature or anything like that. I have always loved the Egyptian facsimiles in those books. And one day I remembered that you know one of the lines says, "If the world can find these out, then so be it." And I was like, "We know Egyptian." <laughs> so I looked it up, and I was I was <clears throat> at work. And I remember sitting back in my computer at you know my desk, sitting back in my chair at work, and just thinking, for the first time in my life, like it was like the world shifted just subtly, but everything was different. And I was like, "Well, it's not true, is it?" And it was like it's so surreal because you're thinking, "Am I really thinking this? Can I really even consider this? Like, what? Okay, what am I going to tell Chelsea?" <laughs> So I went home, told Chelsea late at night. You know, wonderful, which was a wonderful idea to tell your poor wife when she's tired. I will
2: keep you up until one in the morning talking.
3: <laughs> Boy, and and I studied just a crap ton, and and you know, as as I'm sure everyone knows, then you study a crap ton for like a year, and uh, that was that was the beginning of the end, I guess.
0: So you mentioned you came home from work and spoke to Chelsea. Had had you spoken about any of any questions or doubts or any anything prior yeah, to that? I mean, I mean I, I'm a talker, right? I, lo- I love telling people everything about myself,
3: right? Just what I had for breakfast. Sure. How my bowel movement went. So <laughs> You're like yeah. our daughter. <laughs> yeah.
2: And it, it's never appropriate when it comes up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so it's, it's like I told her about interesting things that I'd that learned about. But um, so I, I think it came as a complete shock no to you
2: um yes and no Hmm. I it it was such a mixed bag of emotions um I was actually in denial for probably the first year like totally not concerned about it at all really yeah Hmm.
0: did you after the come home from work moment or
2: I don't remember that precise moment um but I, I mean, I remember conversations here and there, like, I have this question, I'm struggling about this. Have you heard about this? And it never really became real to me until he started talking about wanting a release from the bishopric.
3: Yeah.
2: And okay, hold on. I was like, oh.
0: <laughs> so you were in the bishopric?
3: Yeah, I was a second counselor for like seven months or something like that. No, it was over a year. A year. Oh, okay.
1: So how far into this were you when you when this hit?
3: It I don't know. I was I was in the bishopric for a while and then it hit. Half a year maybe if I had to guess. And eventually it just got to the point where I was like, you know, I I don't think it would be honest at this point to continue being, uh, you know, a leader. Um, which, you know, being a bishop member is kind of nice because you get the notoriety and the. Because <laughs> you, <get> to... <laughs> you get to sit on the stand and pretend to be important <laughs> without actually having to do all the work the bishop does. And not wrangling your
2: kids <laughs> during sacrament meetings.
3: <laughs> oh man, Kelsey <laughs> was a trooper. She would get those kids to church within five minutes of starting time. And uh, oh man. It was fun. And not, and not beat any of them. It was a miracle. It was I mean? a miracle.
1: Uh, Chelsea, I want to go to you. So you said that you like, just didn't think it was like a real thing for a year. Was it, you were avoiding it? Was it, you were just like kind of pretending or sweeping it under the rug? What was it?
2: It, it, it was all the, so many things. So, I mean, first of all, and I talk about this in my talk, I got a spiritual prompting that Danny was the man that I was supposed to marry and I didn't even know anything about him. And so, you know, and I had, um, before that broken off an engagement with a guy who didn't want anything to do with the church. Like that was the level of commitment that I, that I had. And so I did not expect God to lead me to someone who was going to lead the church because I had just made that sacrifice. You know, I've, I've always seen Dan, his way more spiritual than me. And so I leaned on him quite a lot. Um, you know, I went through something that was really hard several years back. I won't get into the details on it, but it had me in this frame of mind. I'd go to the temple wanting comfort and, and I started to, you know, I I really paying attention to the endowment and I noticed things in the endowment that seemed unequal between men and women. And so, because Danny, he's the rock I've always leaned on. I, talk to him about it after the session where I started to notice these things. And I said, Hey, what are your thoughts on this? You know, like pull me back. I'm struggling. (laughs) And, and to this day, I still wonder like, did I plant that seed? You know, like, did I do this? I don't know.
3: Yes. But somebody else would have planted it.
2: (laughs) But so I wasn't worried about it so much because like I was going to him for help. You know, I, he could pull us out of anything, you know, questions Mm -hmm. with the, with the gospel because, you know, so well read, he'd served a mission. He just, he knew the scriptures. And so, you know, not just, I, I wasn't concerned. Mm -hmm. I thought I ought to be concerned about myself. Not so much him.
3: Hmm. See, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Surprise. (laughs) <laughs> we're all learning
1: I mean after he tells you and there's some time passing and it starts to become real how do you talk about these this hard thing between the two of you
2: well we didn't do so well at first because he would bring something up and you know as it started to become more real and he was having more and more questions you know I okay what's your source Is you know is it a an apostate source who said this, let me look up the person, not the, you know, the thing they wrote. I want to find the dirt on the person who wrote the thing and it, you know, debates, debates, debates. And, and, you know, I, I remember one time when we had a really long conversation, I went to my room to be alone for a little while. And then I came out and bore my testimony and then went on a drive. Cause I was mad, you know, I mean, just, it was, I was always trying to pull him back into that boat. You know, I, I didn't really want to hear what he had to say and I'm sorry. No. <laughs> you know, I,
3: she, she's was way more wonderful than she gets herself credit for. There, there were a lot of, of, and still are a lot of hard discussions. I think we
2: can argue nicely most of the
3: time. We 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 definitely do better now. And I think what happens in all honesty is that we pull, we decide we take turns pulling punches if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, cause, cause when, when you don't, and it, from my experience, when one of the two, it doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to pull my punches and take it easy this time. Things, emotions seem to escalate. But if, if we take turn pulling punches, then it, it allows, for example, me to sit and to actually consider her perspective and how, what she's saying is, is true you know whether or not i agree with it how you know what she's saying is true it's what she's living and um and chelsea does the same for me you know she i i've told her this i i think she's a lot more understanding of me than i would have been in reverse because remember i was the pharisee (laughs) i was i was the strict one it's tough you kind of learn how to how to give and take i guess
0: I mean, we're just barely getting into the mixed faith portion of all this. And just, you guys are, you can tell that you've worked hard together. It is. It we is talk hard. a lot. <laughs> no, I, 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 I just, I mean, as awkwardly as I, I'm, it's coming out of my mouth. Like just kudos to you. Cause you you you're wonderful as a couple together talking about these things. So, and,
3: and, and thank you to you guys, because, you know, I listened to your, your podcast a while back, you guys talking about having hard discussions was, um, and, and having some of those hard discussions on, on air, air to speak, <laughs> was, was actually really helpful to me. Um, you know, cause you, you get, you modeled good behavior <laughs> and, and, and it's like, okay, they you know, these guys are doing it. This is something I can do too. I, you know. so Very
0: very nice for you to say. We're awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Let's move on. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So yeah, Chelsea. So he, you know, Danny is, uh, I'm not, I, you didn't really say you tried to make it work within the Bishopric, but pretty soon you knew that you needed to ask to be released. What was that moment like? Was it like a, oh my gosh, what are they going to think?
1: Have you been talking to the bishop all along?
0: No, no, no. You don't tell
3: people about this. No. You don't. You, if you're in the church, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody would agree. If you have doubts, you don't talk about them. Unless,
0: unless you're doubting your doubts. Right. right. If you actually have doubts, you don't talk. About Danny, when you went to talk to the bishop, did, what did you say? Did you tell him everything of where you were at yeah. and this is why I need to be released?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I told him what I was going through and he actually was, uh, um, amazing. Um, I'll give a shout out to Bishop Zamora. I think that man is an incredible man. Uh, um, he, he worked hard in every part of his life and he worked hard as a Bishop and his response to me, he was sad, right? Which is what you expect. Cause he loves yeah. the church. The church has helped him. Mm-hmm. And his response to me was the most sincere. It was brother Anderson. I would never tell you what to believe. This church has helped me and I love it. And and I am so grateful to have gotten to know you. That was, that literally was his response and it is by far yeah. the best response I have ever had from anyone well, in this right. experience. You know, no, no other response from my own family as much as they love me, weren't as good, you know, not dissing them. They're wonderful,
0: but sure it's often it's often the hardest responses you Harder in your family because they're they're so close to you right
3: yeah
0: uh chelsea did that moment of him asking to be released did that feel like a here we go everyone's going to know moment or what was that like
2: um, it didn't feel like a everyone's going to know moment because it's not like they announce over the pulpit um why someone's lie. being released <laughs> though i did have several people from the ward um reach out to me and say, Oh, I was so surprised that your husband was released. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) Um, I I started house hunting after that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was more just like, okay, this got real, really fast. You know, like we are living this. I don't think he's going to change his mind at this point. And at that point, I really hoped he would change his mind, but you know, you take a step like that and I knew he was serious. So that, that was my wake up. Like, boom, this, this is how it is for you now.
0: So did you then move pretty soon thereafter? We did. I actually got a new job. Yeah, that was the, the same time.
2: Yeah, it was convenient.
0: Tender mercy. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So, so was, I mean, the timing seems pretty good. What was it like moving into a new ward? Did you have conversations about okay, this is what we're going to tell people. We,
3: yeah, we talked about it and we didn't, I didn't want to tell anybody because I wanted to keep going to church with her and the kids and people judge you harshly. Right. And I didn't want to be judged harshly by the community.
2: Before they got to know you. Right. It it was never the intention to keep it a secret forever. Let's get established before we drop that. Before I start
3: telling everybody. And so, um, so we did, I just, you know, I wasn't going to lie, but we didn't have to tell anybody. Um, And so, so we we didn't tell anybody until I was offered a calling to teach uh, primary primary kids. (laughs) And I, uh, I told the bishop, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to teach kids. That's the best calling I've ever had. I enjoyed it, but you should know something first. (laughs) Naturally, the calling was rescinded. Ah,
0: Imagine that. (laughs) Um, all right. So, so which I would have made the same
3: call? Yeah.
2: No, some, no Something deals. about needing to be able to testify to the things <laughs> you're teaching. Yeah. Right. That makes total sense.
1: So Chelsea, tell me like, what were some of your biggest fears like going into like having your husband be released and like the mixed faith marriage itself? What were some things that you really worried about or you still worry about?
2: Um, well, first of all, he was released on Mother's Day, which I felt was horribly rude.
3: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that is rude. Trust, trust a bunch of men to not think that through, right? Yeah. Right.
2: But, I mean, no, I feel, I feel like I'd probably echo everyone else who's come on this podcast and said, you know, you prepare your whole life for the temple and this idea of eternal marriage. And now, you know, things have felt so certain and now they're way less certain. Yeah you know, what, what's going to happen? There is no clearly defined, no clearly defined doctrine on what's going to happen in our situation. I mean, there's the, there's justice, but there's also mercy. How will that be reconciled in our situation? I don't know. We're both doing our best Mm -hmm. um, to do what we think is right. And that's all we can do. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I say that and it's, you know, it sounds good, but feeling it and thinking it are are two different things. And so I still, I frequently struggle. Um, you know, we were watching frozen, frozen Two, mm-hmm. really good music, yes. but Kristoff awesome starts show. singing the song lost in the woods. And he, he says, who am I, if we're not together forever. And I was like, I don't know who am I, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, this is not some codependent thing where I have to have another person to be happy, but this is what I've spent my whole life moving towards. Mm-hmm. And now, it's uncertain. I just, I don't know. And, and the and religion is such a big part of who I am. Yeah.
3: And she didn't do anything to to cause it. Right. It just happened. Yeah. To her. And so it's,
1: what were the reactions of your family and how, how long, I mean, did you decide to wait before telling
3: them? Um, I mean, it wasn't long, right? Like I, uh,
2: I think it was well, about the
3: same time that I got released. Around
2: the time you got released, you told some of, you might have told some of your family earlier, I
3: think you know, you went have. out to
2: a couple of lunches, exchanged some emails.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, people in general didn't handle it very well, but it's not like they were terrible in their handling, right? almost universally everybody wants to convince you and and what's odd is this happens to Chelsea is she'll mention to people that I'm going through a faith crisis and they start trying to convince her that
2: they start preaching at me that
3: that why the church is true and she's like no I believe no, I, I'm it's with him you. he's got the problem we we'll talk to him yeah. um she would not she'd never say that but uh so you know I think I
2: might have on one occasion
3: <laughs> that's 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 the general reaction I I get is people and, and I'm not I'm not blaming them. I did the same thing when that friend came over to my house, right? The exact same thing. I started trying to convince him/slash myself that this was what I believed and why. And and that's fine. I've I've come to learn um, through personal experience and from studying other men who have studied this this kind of psychology of morality. Shout out to Jonathan Haidt. That, that that's part of who we are as human beings right? Like we have our belief systems and we defend them as if they were a part of us because they are. And, and I'm not, this is not, um, this is not, oh, church people do this. I do it. Mm -hmm. And that was the interesting thing because Chelsea would come up with, with say a perfectly valid uh, complaint about, um, some source I'd been reading and I would have the exact same reaction I had inside the church only now it was reversed. And I'd be like, well, let me throw out a hundred justifications as for why this person is still a good source. And then the next day you'd look over and you'd be like, "Eh, she's a moderately good source. You're not really as good as I was thinking. Um, and that's, that's basically how family reacted. They want to convince you that you're wrong and not hear what you have to say.
2: I do, I do want to say I spoke to a member of your family before speaking to any of my family. And I loved the response that I got. I got a lot of validation. I, um, you know, I was was told this is not uncommon, you know, and we had a really nice long conversation. I was really grateful um, to be able to, to have that conversation. It, you know, it was a really nice band-aid for how hurt i was feeling yeah. that day there there was no judgment there was just a lot of love yeah and uh
3: I, I know who she's talking about and this person is is good at that um
2: they are my go-to person
3: <laughs> yeah and my apologies for leaving off names but i don't want to hurt anybody of course inadvertently yeah we do um, the same thing <laughs> i i did get one response that has not been repeated but one response that was uh almost verbatim the devil has your heart mm. right and it was in a it was in an argumentative you know where we're kind of were challenging each other and the first time they had learned about it so you know it was hard it's hard for them it's it uh it was hard for me it was just hard all around there's plenty of trials for everybody
0: <laughs> i think it's i think it's important uh for those that are at a point where they need to tell their family soon, or they're going to tell their family soon. A lot of times, you don't get to choose the timing of that because a baptism is coming, or a uh, a child's blessing is coming, and I'm, I'm not going to do it. So I've got to tell my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in that situation, uh, I think the the hard thing about telling telling family this is that there's not a great way to break bad news, and yeah. this is this is really bad news for especially for parents. Right. Siblings it can be it can vary depending on you know when where they fall and everything. but I think it's equally important to point out that uh it's understandable why it would be difficult, why someone yeah. would say I mean, it takes a lot of emotional maturity and intelligence to expect the worst and then respond well to it when it comes. So yeah. when someone says to you, "The devil has you, what is your response going to be? Uh right. hopefully if, if you're listening here, there's this, you know, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and understand that they love you and uh they are hurting to hear this. And of course it's gonna be fight, and, flight, or and they've or freeze.
3: probably been taught to believe that. And what else are you gonna believe when the person who you thought would never waver? I'm you know, crediting myself with a lot here. Um sure. suddenly yeah, suddenly wavers. Right? Like, what else? Like, so, you know, it was hard with my family, but but like you said, this, from their perspective, from their understanding of the truth as best they have it, I just walked out of heaven. Yeah. I hate that. I absolutely hate that idea and that they believe it, but what am I going to do about it? Nobody could convince me otherwise. I'm certainly not going to be able to convince them.
2: And it's not very different from how we would have responded three or four years ago to if a family member came to us in the same situation I
3: have a friend who left the church and and I said all the same things about him that I hate that people say about me oh he's lazy he just doesn't want to do this or that and I called him after I had my my eye-opening moment and I said dude I'm so sorry (laughs) like I didn't start out that way I asked him you know what he thought and asked him about it and he has he's great is great that, great diplomatic up name? no rob's great <laughs> shout out to rob sanders um he uh best best friend honest to goodness and you know he was just he just talked to me about it he was like you know it's it's okay danny it's it's rough you, you work through it and and he has actually been very helpful to me personally working through things
1: Yeah. I think it's important to have that support buddy or family member or, or someone that you can talk to. And Alan and I said a lot of really stupid things and we've gone back and apologized to family members for things we'd said because, um, you know, there's a perspective shift, right? Mm -hmm. And so you realize, oh my gosh, it was probably really hurtful to them when I said it. So I think, I think it's great that you went back to that, that friend to apologize. And like you said, as a friend would do just, I get it, you know, I understand. And now you understand each other. Um, you know, it's interesting. Alan has a family member who, who just recently said, it's been like three years since Alan's been out, but this person just recently said to us that they had an epiphany that um that it wasn't that for a long time they they blamed themselves
0: it was my mom i just interviewed her i think she's fine with me saying <laughs> okay, okay.
1: so it was, it was his mom and we went for a walk on sunday and she said you know i always thought it had something to do with me and it wasn't until just recently she realized oh their change in faith had has nothing to do with me it has nothing to do with me as a parent and And I was like a little bit surprised that I was like, wow, three years of carrying that burden, thinking that it had something to do with them. But now that she's realized it, it's, I'm sure it's very freeing to them. Right. And so I can understand how, you know, siblings and parents may take that guilt upon themselves thinking that they did something wrong because, um, you know, surely if they were doing everything right, their son wouldn't leave the gospel.
3: Right. Well, it's, it's what we're taught. So yeah. if it
2: had anything to do with me,
3: <laughs>
2: I'd have been able to argue him back by now,
0: yeah, but that yeah, has that's not a good, happened. That's a good perspective. That's a good point of view. It is. I think with time, a lot of things are, are healed. Um, a lot of the pain dampens, I guess you could, ooh hit my microphone a lot of the pain dampens let's before we get to your talk i'd love to i think we everybody not just me but everybody would love to hear some of the some of the wins in in mixed faith marriage uh it's very difficult it's not something that typically you would choose to go through we certainly <laughs> could talk for hours about all the difficulties of it yeah problems with it but have you seen any positives or anything yeah anything positive come from from this undesired situation you found yourselves in?
2: Well, Danny has long hair now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he <never laughs> likes it. Yeah. You like, do you comb it for him and you brush your hands? <laughs> I wish I could have your hair. <laughs> um, that's
2: a good question. I could sit I, and think about that for a minute.
0: It's
3: It's one of those things that's like, if I could wave my hands and have the church be true, I would gladly do it, or to
2: believe the church is true
3: to have it be true, not to believe it, to have it be true because that's important to me, right? I want what I believe to actually be the truth, oh, I see what you're saying. so if I could wave my hands and have it be true, I would do it because i I think teachings of an afterlife and of a loving Father in heaven are comforting and useful and helpful i I honestly don't you that that's a really good question. You, mean, don't have to, you don't have to fabricate yeah. we are We're better difficult. at discussing hard things. So that's something that's better. Um, I've gotten more assertive. Chelsea's gotten more assertive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Harder for me, but good. Um, you like it. How dare
0: you have a voice? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. I still would rather not have had to have gone through it personally from a marriage mm. perspective. I can handle all the rest. I can handle... Hard, hard as it is, I can handle disappointment from parents, disappointment from siblings, because they're just a little bit removed, right? But to cause Chelsea this kind of existential angst about our relationship and our future is, that's, that's hard for me. Um, so, I mean, there are little things, you know, that, that you learn, you go through something tough, you learn to handle hard emotions. Yeah. You know. I'm, but,
2: I'm no longer concerned about polygamy in the next life.
3: <laughs>
2: because is, that a, he is not going to get thing? more wise with how he's behaving
0: right now <laughs> so that, that, is,
2: that is one worry that had me up at night that i am just not concerned about anymore
3: uh, chelsea, chelsea has a great sense of humor and <laughs> and well i mean uh, hopefully i do too but she makes good jokes i mean not so much
0: chelsea um, is, is there anything else that that you've seen in I mean, I think if we were making a bullet point list, uh, Danny mentioned that you've learned to discuss difficult topics. That's one thing that's on the list. Was would there be something else? Yes, I know you were joking, but that's a stress relief with <laughs> you know half joking it maybe. But uh, anything else uh, that that you can point at that has been a positive?
2: I, it's still fresh enough that I'm just in sure. this spot where I'm saying, give me option C. I'm not liking <laughs> A or B that are given. Um, right in front of me, I, give me another option. I, um, I don't know. We've seen that we're both committed to this marriage and we're going to make it work. I mean, were you worried that I would divorce you or did you feel confident that I'd stick it out with you?
0: I I don't think I ever worried about it too much. So that's cool. (laughs) No, that's a, that's absolutely awesome. If, if you guys can weather this, this storm and you're committed to, again, it's not like you can't, you have to not work at it. You have to work at it, of course, but that's absolutely on the list. That's the top of the list. You, in spite of this, you have chosen mm-hmm. each other.
2: Yeah, so it's a, a great spotlight on, on our commitment. I I would love to have him this life and all eternity, like like we covenanted. Um, we will see what happens. I'll take him for as long as I can get him.
3: Same here. Yeah, Bye. see... If I can sum up my response to that, it, w- it would be, look, I'd rather not have to go through this at all.
2: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I've
3: never been one who liked when people talk about, oh, your trials will bring you blessings. It's like, oh, eh, okay, I get it, <laughs> but I don't like it. Um, but but, it, life is tough and life is hard and life is messy. And if it weren't this, it would be something else. And And you're right. Positive things can come from having to do something hard. Sure. In some way, you're going to grow, and and sure, I would rather not have had to deal with this one, but yeah, life's still beautiful. My wife's still wonderful. Our relationship Aww. is wonderful. Um, we have to deal with some hard things, but hey, we'll learn to do that and 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 move on and be happy. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood.
2: No, And can I can I cut in real quick? Um, no. It, <laughs> I am assertive now. Okay. Um, something he said reminded me. Um, he said we all have hard stuff to deal with, and I, I just want to say, when it comes to getting responses from friends and family, I've received this response several times, and this is the hardest response for me to receive is when someone tells me that they feel bad for me. Mm-hmm. I, and just like Danny said, we all have our we all have our trials. Um, you know, people have health conditions like cancer and, and amputations and, you know, economic struggles. And, and I, maybe it's because I'm not in their shoes, but I don't see other people telling them my heart hurts for you to be in this position. I'm so sorry for you. You know, I was, um, diagnosed with Hashimoto's earlier this year. It's, So my thyroid gets attacked, autoimmune disease reaction, when I eat gluten and dairy. So I can't have gluten and dairy anymore. And when I share that with people, well first of all, I think my mom laughed at me. (laughs) Because
3: (laughs) she has it too. She
2: has it too and my riotous living with my diet finally caught me and bit me in the butt and that's fair. But the response that I get from people is like, You're tough. You're smart. You're going to figure this out. You're going to find great substitutions in your diet. You know, you've got this. And I wish I could have that same response. You know, that that's a big trial. Like I love brownies. You know, I love bread. And bread that's made out of rice and sorghum is just not the same. It. You know, I don't drink milk. I drink marshmallow water. You know, she means oat oat milk. milk. Yeah, and and I just, it's really hard. Also, being in a mixed faith marriage is really hard, but I, I wish I could have the response. You know, I can see how much you guys love each other. I know you're going to make it. I know this is going to be okay. God loves you. He's going to do what's best for you. You know, more encouraging messages than being told that people feel sorry for me. And it's, it's not any one person. I'm not um, picking on any one individual person. Um, I've gotten this response. Multiple times from multiple people, and it it is the hardest um, response that I get because just I I don't want to be pitied. It, it's hard to feel like people pity you.
0: You're com- I'm you're still mostly a good guy. Yeah, I, I thank you for sharing that because Katie, yeah. you experienced that. Yeah,
1: well. I actually really really like that comparison. Yeah,
0: that was a really very profound way of com- comparing the two of. This is a very difficult challenge for me. And this is how and people respond well to it. And then this other one, they don't. And why can't they just do it both?
1: Uh, I know. It's hard to feel like you don't want to feel marginalized in church, in uh, your neighborhood, in your community, among your friends. That's the last thing you want to feel, right? Yeah. Um, so I can completely <laughs> relate to that. And I didn't want to be pitied. Um, I felt like I was pitied, you know, church widow with all yeah. four kids, you know, yeah. sitting on the bench, but I think that as, and maybe this is some hope for you, but as I got to a place of just acceptance, I kind of feel like Man, I don't care what people think. Like that's their problem. If they want to pity me, fine. Come and sit next to me and help me with my kids. I'll welcome that. Yeah. Right. You know, but, but um, it really has taken some time and some work to get to the place where I just feel like I've accepted where I am. I'm happy where I am and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And so if other people want to project their own feelings, they're not going to, they're not going to land on me. Right. They're going to just bounce right back up. So anyway, that's time heals a lot of things. And I understand that you guys are just right, right in the thick of it, especially with three little kids. So I just really, oh, I really feel for you.
0: In fact, I was going to ask about the kids before we, we get to the talk. Uh, If we would, do you mind? Are you okay with? Oh yeah, of course. All right, we cool.
2: don't know what to do with the kids.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, if you have, not that we have all the answers or anything, but if you have any questions <laughs> or anything, you, you certainly can ask. And people that are listening can answer the questions as well. We can forward you any emails they send us to it. But uh, yeah. I mean, your oldest is five, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what progress have you made on what to do about the parenting situation?
2: Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like where we've arrived for right now is, um, the kids will continue to come with me to church, whether or not Danny continues to attend. Um, but I'll I'll
3: keep going so long as they're going.
2: Very nice of you. Help me wrangle the kids during sacrament.
3: Um,
2: but I've decided, you know, I, um, I love the church but I do not think that the church as an organization is perfect. I think that there are some topics that are not handled well when taught to the youth, Uh, like specifically in um, modesty standards, why we are modest, the reason that we need to be modest Um, and uh, things about sexuality. I just felt like we're not handled well. And so I intend on, on supervising any lessons like that, that are taught to my kids so that I can go home and have a discussion with them about what they learned and be very hands-on on on that subject. Because I just, I I don't know, I don't, I didn't feel like it was approached well when I was a kid and a, a teen. And I know that a lot of how that's taught is down to the individual teachers. You know, it's not like the church has a Handbook on this is the lesson that we go through with the youth specifically. You know, there are there are certain standards, but how it's gone over. Um, and like I had a friend who was taught that if if she had um sex outside of marriage, she was a chewed piece of gum. And great, let's let's teach morality and and um not having all this extramarital sex, but let's leave room for the atonement because that piece of gum can be new again. Um, I mean, let, let's not pretend that it's, that a person is worth any less when the atonement promises to wash away their sins, if they're repentant, you know, so just subjects like that, I, I felt like the atonement was not emphasized enough, a heavy hand on, on topics like that, discussing them with the kids and, and letting them know where we stand on certain subjects and, and the teachers are just, teaching their opinion sometimes on these things.
0: Well, how great is it that you got, that you feel strongly about that? And, uh, I mean, I think that specific topic is probably going to be it. I, I am stopping short of saying the word easy, but it's going to be a good starting point for the two of you, because I'm sure that, that I'm not sure, but I would imagine that Danny feels similarly. Yeah. And that you can use that as a stepping stone into how to approach uh, different topics when you're teaching the kids. It may not feel like it now, but this, this is a gift for your kids having the opportunity. It's a gift and a curse as we're finding out with our teenagers, but um, (laughs) it's a gift to teach your kids that this is how mommy feels. This is how daddy feels. How do you feel and make it, that you're setting this standard that it is okay to believe differently. It's okay to disagree with each other. Uh, Mommy disagrees with daddy on this. Daddy disagrees with me on that. Maybe you disagree with me on this. It's how we disagree and how respectful we can be to the other person when we disagree that matters. Yeah. Um, That's scary because you're opening the door to your kid to doing all sorts of stuff that you both disagree with.
2: Yeah, I, I, want, I want them to follow me, if I'm honest.
0: No, of course, yeah. don't we all? Of course we do. And yeah. and I mean, to be frank, that's what we're struggling with now is that our kids are, have seen that we are very vocal about it. We talk to them about episodes that we record. We'll probably talk to them about you guys, if that's okay. And of
3: course,
0: And we're very open with them. But then that turns in, they don't have the emotional maturity yet to turn that into a respectful way of disagreeing with us of, no, I don't have to clean my room because (laughs) I don't. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on a second. I love the eyebrow raise.
2: The agency (laughs) argument. I have my agency. I have
0: my, I can do it. Yeah, I can have my, well, hold on a second. No, you don't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or they'll say, "But mom, that's
1: your opinion."
0: Yeah, that's your opinion. Oh my god! Oh, no. <laughs> so you know we've
3: now had let that. me teach you a little truth: the person with the money and the muscles is the one who
0: determines reality. The person that's who right.
1: birthed you—they're right. <laughs> yeah.
0: they're good I have kids.
2: Privileges.
1: But that's
0: right. it's I—it's I, a fascinating experience to say them to say the least.
2: Yeah. we are going to have to be very careful i feel like just you know sitting around the dinner table after church hey would you learn thanks for sharing move on to the next person would you learn i think simple discussions like that are just not going to cut it with us i think you know aside from tough the tough issues that i mentioned earlier like you know modesty and the why and um because we don't want the kids to get the message um from teachers that Danny is not a good person or that he's less than from not being active because it's, I feel like it's very easy for a child to walk away from their Sunday school lessons feeling that way. And, and it's not true. Like Danny's a really good person. He's a wonderful father. And it would not be fair for the kids to form that opinion of him. Um, And so we just have to be, I, I just think we have to be really involved in discussions about what they are learning at church to make sure that it's, that it's um, kind, that it's doctrinal instead of just cultural. Um, to, to make sure that we're not put in this situation where where they think any less of their father because of his beliefs being different.
0: And they'll follow your lead on that. How cool is it that you guys have that perspective going into it? Because they will follow your lead especially with how young they are now, you, you know, if they, if they say, Hey, we learned about Noah and the Ark. And then Chelsea, you jump in and say, Oh, I really like that because this, that story because of X, Y, and Z. And then you turn to Danny and say, daddy, what do you think? And (laughs) Danny or daddy says something that is different than mom. And then you both react positively to it. I mean, your five-year-old, your two-year-old catches on to, huh, it's different. They believe different, but it's okay. They're okay with that. So you can do it. The kids are, are the tough stuff. You guys, uh, thank you for, for joining us today. We will, let's get to the talk. I think playing the talk now, Chelsea, really appreciative of of really you exhibited and quoted uh, David Osler's Bridges book in, in your talk. Such a, I think, a very courageous um, talk to give. And I think everybody will really enjoy it. All right, so let's play the talk now. And uh, enjoy.
2: Good morning, sisters and brothers. For those of you who I haven't gotten to know yet, my name is Chelsea Anderson. Before I introduce my topic, I'd like to go ahead and introduce myself and my family a little bit. I was born in the South, raised in the Midwest, and came here to Utah to attend BYU. I met Danny, who is a Utah boy through and through, on the first Sunday at the singles ward, halfway through my sophomore year. He had approached me to flirt with my roommate. Danny ended up asking me out for a date a few days before another guy asked me to go study, so I wound up canceling this first date with Danny. I expected to feel relief after getting over the unpleasantries of canceling a date, but a voice clearly came to my mind and said, "'That was the man you were supposed to marry. You've messed up. Get him back.'" So I dumped my new boyfriend, crooked my little finger at Danny, and he and I were sealed at the Ochre Mountain Temple five months later. Together, we now have three beautiful little girls and a gluten intolerant dog. Danny and I have both been active members of the church for our entire lives, and we've held a variety of callings. I usually end up in one of two places, in Young Women's or on a Relief Society committee. There is no in-between that I will admit to. In our last ward, Danny was called into the bishopric, and I became a church widow. It was during Danny's time in the bishopric, while he was faithfully serving the ward and sacrificing a great deal of his time to the Lord, that Danny came to the conclusion that he no longer believes that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true. Brothers and sisters, today I am both grateful and terrified to have the chance to stand here and speak to you about faith crises and how to minister to those who are affected by them. I recently finished reading a fantastic book written by David Osler called Bridges, Ministering to Those Who Question. Brother Osler is an active member of the church who, after serving in high-profile callings such as bishop, stake president, and mission president, was called as a stake service missionary to work with the singles in his stake 80% of whom were inactive. It was during this time that Brother Ostler really began to understand faith crisis, which he defined as a person learning or experiencing something that significantly challenges their beliefs, and they feel like they can't trust the spiritual foundation that they had long relied on. This could be a result of encountering new information, disagreeing with a new teaching or policy, or experiencing personal trauma that causes them to be suspicious of various authorities, settings, or situations. Um, I'm going to draw a lot from Bridges, so if you think I say anything especially profound that isn't directly quoted, you can safely assume it was inspired by something in that text. As I have based my talk largely around Brother Osler's book, which I would recommend to anyone and everyone, um, I will offer the same disclaimer that he did, which is this. I will be sharing real stories of real people with their permission Though I will not go into much detail on the specific issues that people find problematic, I won't be skirting around the tough emotions involved. If we can listen and learn from these stories without becoming defensive, dismissive, or by rushing to explain away their concerns, then we can learn and find ourselves better able to relate, love, and minister to others. In addition to stories from Bridges, I have also included personal experiences from me and my husband, as well as members of an online support community that I am a part of. And in this setting, I feel very comfortable saying that's the marriage on a tight rope community. Um, I want to add that I have been writing and rewriting this talk for months, and I hope that I'll be able to do justice to this opportunity and be sensitive to all who are listening. Who am I to judge another when I walk imperfectly? In the quiet heart is hidden sorrow that the eye can't see. Who am I to judge another, Lord? I would follow thee before we can minister well. We must have some understanding of the person we are reaching out to. So what is it really like to go through a faith crisis? I ask this question in my online support group, and here are some of the answers. Nicole told me, My faith crisis has been the hardest thing I've ever experienced. It has made me question everything, and it has felt like free-falling. I've felt complete terror at points, wondering what my future holds, and if my very Mormon family will love me if I truly show them where I am at. I feel like my past has been tainted and my future is lost. It has really taken a toll on my mental health. Anxiety and depression have both come from this, and I've been working a lot with a therapist. It's been exhausting, and I just feel um This is still quoting from Nicole. She continues, another friend who has also experienced a faith crisis told me the only thing worse than her crisis was watching her 30-year-old husband die of cancer. Anne wrote, basically, I have panic attacks. It's completely terrifying. For the first two months of my faith crisis, I was having them four to six times a day. I couldn't think of anything else. I got in to see a therapist, which helped some, but I still get them two to three times a week. Another person who shared with me stated that she worried her loved ones would abandon her. Kendra explained her crisis this way. My entire life I built a house of faith. I poured my heart and soul into it, following the plans laid out by others before me. I worked on it daily, adding details to make it beautiful, stronger, more inviting, and a place I wanted to dwell. I cherished it. I invited others into it and made it a place safe for them to visit. It was a place for family, heritage, love, devotion, and had a strong foundation for me to plan my entire world around. My house of faith was my strength, pride, and a sense of belonging. I loved it. I invited others to view it often. It was everything to me. When my world shifted, there was nothing I could do to save my beautiful house of faith. It crumbled despite my best efforts to keep it together. I had to leave it for the safety of me and my family. Right now my focus is making sure that I'm okay and that my family is okay. I am working on my relationships and making sure that those I love are okay with me and my new homelessness. Then when I feel safe, maybe I can return and find some treasures in the rubble. Maybe I can find some silver or an antique clock to add to my new home. "'but that's the future. "'I know it will be a long process "'and one filled with twinges of pain. "'There is nothing easy about having a faith crisis. "'It wasn't something I was looking for or wanted. "'I felt safe and loved. "'And now I feel despised, judged, and alone. "'Others who are secure in their houses of faith "'think that I didn't understand how to build one. "'I didn't work on my house consistently enough "'to make it strong. "'I didn't truly love it, "'or I chose to abandon it willingly. "'All not true.' All hurtful. Leaving wasn't a decision I had. It was forced on me because my safety was in jeopardy. The world broke, and it broke my heart to leave. Cassie said, "A lot of people describe a faith transition like going down the rabbit hole, but I would say it's more like going through the Triwizard Tournament. And just like Harry Potter, I never wanted to be a part of it in the first place." The last quote that I'll share came from Eric, who wrote, "To be honest, I was all in in the church all my life." In the thick of the faith crisis, I was going through near-daily panic attacks, weekly Sunday migraines, and worse. In my mindset of the time, rather than put my eternal family at risk, I was hoping that a bus would hit me on my next bike ride, or that I would get hit by lightning on my next hike. I'd never do anything intentionally to myself, which would harm my family in this life and the next, but if God could have made something happen to save me from that decision, I longed for it. I had input from many others that unfortunately I'm not able to include for timing reasons, but many people described their crises to me as isolating, lonely, devastating, and a roller coaster of emotions. Many feared that their families wouldn't love them, trust them, or be proud of them anymore, that they would lose friends, and that they would no longer be seen as good people. Most have found peace in their new beliefs, yet still mourn the loss of relationships that they used to enjoy and had hoped would still continue. I have described a wide array of emotions that are experienced during a challenge of faith. Each person's experience is unique, but almost universal to all experiences is what is referred to as the dark night of the soul, which Oxford defines as a period of spiritual desolation where all sense of consolation is removed. It can be short-lived or enduring. Individuals emerge from this dark night of the soul differently, as they are all unique. And this phenomenon even strikes at those whom we collectively revere. While imprisoned in Liberty Jail, a worn-out and distraught Joseph Smith cried, O oh God, where art thou, and where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? Joseph emerged from his dark night comforted and reminded of God's love for him. Mother Teresa, who was sainted by the Catholic Church in 2016, felt a direct call from God to dedicate her life to the poor. While serving among the sick and destitute in India, her writings describe the feelings that she battled for almost, 40 years she wrote in my soul i feel that just that terrible pain of loss of god not wanting me of god not being god of god not existing this wonderful selfless christ-like woman never emerged from her dark night as it lasted until her death in 1997 even our savior jesus christ experienced a dark night as he was dying on the cross he cried Eli, Eli, lama sabaxani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let us not pass judgment on those who experience this dark night of the soul. Now I would like to take the time to bust some commonly held myths surrounding individuals who lose their testimony of the church. In surveys conducted by Brother Osler, he learned the following about current religious practices of those experiencing a faith crisis. 86% believed wholeheartedly in the teachings of the church. 98% held a temple recommend, and 79% of those individuals attended the temple regularly. 64% were reading their scriptures daily. 82% were having meaningful personal prayer. And 99% were attending church weekly. So what do these statistics teach us? They indicate that assumptions that individuals lose their testimonies purely because they didn't read their scriptures enough go to church regularly, or attend the temple, or that they were just plain lazy, don't hold up to scrutiny. There are exceptions to every rule, but statistically, the majority of members who lost their testimonies of the church were faithfully doing what we've all been taught that we need to do. Another commonly held assumption is that an individual becomes too smart to have faith, or that they are too free-thinking. This is an interesting point of view, considering the constant encouragement from our leaders to never stop learning and to take responsibility for our own thinking. In 2000, President Gordon B. Hinckley gave an address called "A Prophet's Counsel and Prayer for Youth." In this talk, he outlined six B's, one of which was "Be smart." He explained, "You need to get all the education you can get. You belong to a church that teaches the importance of education. You have a mandate from the Lord." to educate your minds and your hearts and your hands. President George Albert Smith once repudiated a statement made by a church magazine that said, when our leaders speak, the thinking has been done. He declared, even to imply that members of the church are not to do their own thinking is grossly to misinterpret the true ideals of the church. After one Latter-day Saint was brought before the High Council for Erring and Doctrine, Joseph Smith said, I never thought it was right to call up a man and try him because he erred in doctrine. It looks too much like Methodism and not like Latter-day Saintism. Methodists have creeds which a man must believe or be kicked out of their church. I want the liberty of believing as I please. It feels so good not to be trampled. It don't prove that a man is not a good man because he errs in doctrine. Full disclosure, I have no idea how a Methodist would feel reading this statement, but I've got a pretty good idea of how Joseph Smith was feeling when he said it. Attached to the idea that we should constantly seek learning is the age-old warning to avoid anti-Mormon material, as well as the assumption that those who lose their testimonies deliberately sought after this material. What if I told you that this is not usually the case? I've heard many stories from individuals, including my husband, who changed their beliefs after reading materials on LDS.org or from Deseret Book as a part of their study to increase their testimonies. After noticing this pattern, I conducted a small informal poll in the support group. The results showed that 62.5% of respondents felt that materials found directly on LDS.org or ChurchofJesusChrist.org contributed to their faith crisis. Although we might not agree with the conclusions that these individuals came to, we certainly can't fault them for where they sought their information. A final myth that I would like to bust is that we can judge a situation based on what we see at church. I have a good friend who has struggled with church attendance for years and who doesn't fall in line with certain aspects of the gospel that others think that she ought to. Some of our mutual friends have speculated that she never had a strong testimony to begin with, that she just doesn't care about spiritual things, or that as a middle child, she enjoys being rebellious. What I know that they don't know is that my good friend was sexually assaulted by a local local church leader's son. She reached out to several church members for help, and each time was called a liar and made to feel like it was her fault. She felt judged and pushed away at a time when she needed love and support the most. She stood by and watched her attacker go into the temple during a youth trip, while she herself felt unworthy to enter. Church has become a place of mistrust where traumatic memories are relived for my friend. I think she deserves an award every time she goes. We simply can't know why somebody isn't as active as we think they should be. Let's not make assumptions or judgments. We just don't know. And I know I've spent a large portion of my time discussing hard stuff, but I truly believe that understanding is the first and biggest piece of the ministering puzzle. I hope that I've been able to help place that piece. I would be my brother's keeper. I would learn the healer's art. To the wounded and the weary... I would show a gentle heart. I would be my brother's keeper. Lord, I would follow thee. Brother Osler describes ministering this way. Ministering is a holy term that describes how we watch and care for each other and how we show the love of our heavenly parents. The church defines it as learning of and attending to others' needs. It is doing the Lord's work. Jesus Christ is the example. Jesus wept when he ministered to Mary. Though he knew he would resurrect Lazarus, He chose to stop and, without giving a sermon, take the time to cry with her as she mourned the loss of her brother. On the cross, while undertaking the infinite atonement, he looked beyond his own unimaginable suffering and saw the needs of his anguished mother and assigned the apostle John to care for her. He saw the infinite worth of the woman taken in adultery when he said, "'Neither do I condemn thee.'" In his ministry, Jesus mourned and forgave, protected and healed. He showed love and compassion. Coming unto Christ means seeking to minister as he does, end of quote. Exceptional ministering is built upon a foundation of trust, belonging, and meaning. And Brother Osler goes over these um, three tenets again and again. He feels like they are so important. Um, He says these three tenets play a large role in the satisfaction an individual feels with their religious affiliation. Many are afraid to ask questions and share where they are at spiritually because they are afraid of how others will respond. So what can we do to increase a sense of trust when we minister? And again, Brother Osler provides a great list. He says, listen, listen, and listen. Then listen some more. Don't rebut, testify, or try to explain away the concerns. Ask questions that seek to understand. Examples of helpful questions include... What can I do to support you right now? What would help you feel loved and understood? Or, this is a hard thing. How are you holding up? Or, will you tell me more about what you do believe? The list goes on. Don't assume their concerns are a result of sin, laziness, or some other fault. Just accept that their concerns are real to them. Don't label them with negative terms, such as doubters, non-believer, and certainly not apostate. I would add that while labeling helps our brains to sort and make sense of data, it rarely allows an individual, I should say never allows an individual to feel loved and understood, which is the point of ministering. Um, Going back to the list, don't tell them how they should feel. I can't remember who said this in regards to feelings, but I love this quote. Don't should on yourself and don't should on others. Keep their, their concerns in confidence. Don't disclose what they share with you to others without their permission. Take steps to address their concerns. For example, if they are concerned about the role of women in the church, then speak up and find appropriate ways for greater involvement and participation by women in your ward and stake. Be their voice and advocate on their behalf. We can increase a sense of belonging and meaning by being intentional about the culture we foster in our wards and stakes. Do we want a culture that is exclusive and only accommodating to those who are perfectly secure in their beliefs? Or do we want an inclusive culture that welcomes all who seek community, friendship, and to come unto Christ, even when those efforts look different than our own? I personally believe that church is a place we come to grow and reach out to Christ and our fellow man, not where we come to pat ourselves on the back for being perfect already. Elder Uchtdorf has said, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a place for people with all kinds of testimonies. There are some members of the church whose testimony is sure and burns brightly within them. Others are still striving to know for themselves. The church is a home for all to come together, regardless of the depth or the height of their testimony. I know of no sign on the doors of our meeting houses that says, your testimony must be this tall to enter. How do we create a culture that is welcoming to all? Some great examples of things that are within our power to do are these. Avoid alienating behaviors. These include formulating responses instead of listening, preaching during personal interactions or giving unwanted advice, turning conversations to ourselves, labeling, judging, manipulating to get a desired response. We can create loving relationships by expressing empathy, building positivity, validating feelings, and being vulnerable and authentic ourselves. We can find common ground rather than focusing on the issues over which we disagree. We can examine our intentions when we make comments in class or in private conversations. Are we trying to include our fellow brothers and sisters and help them to feel loved? Or are we trying to assert our beliefs and ideals over theirs? Uh, The idea originates with Terrell Givens that we can make room for testimonies that are not identical to our own. Some people don't feel like they know things that others testify that they know. But we can make room for testimonies that include phrases like, I think, I believe, and I hope. Let's all meet each other where we are at. In the support group, I asked for examples of when Warden family members had done a great job ministering. Here are some of the responses I received. Eric said, The best interactions have been when my friends stayed my friends, and I could tell they valued me for who I was and our friendship for authentic reasons. Mitch explained that his wishes were respected and not wanting to become a project. He and others further explained that we all know the protocol for seeking after lost members and that it is very easy to feel like a project when the person trying to reactivate them hadn't formed any sort of relationship with them before they left the church. John said that his bishop validated his concerns. Lauren told me, What I needed was someone to give me a hug and say, I love you and how you feel is important. Someone to listen, to try and build a bridge, even if they were an active believing member. What I've learned is that unconditional love is so incredibly important. Conditional love hurts so much. Anthony said, I had members and local leaders who respected my boundaries and expressed theirs. I love this one. When we reach out and minister, we absolutely can ask for the same respect and consideration in return. Bridges are not one-sided streets. One note on what ministering is not. Ashley May Hoyland shared an experience she had on her mission. She wrote, We once left a home with a woman who spoke at us for hours without our even mentioning our purpose as missionaries. When we finally left, I, in frustration and anger, Complained to my companion about what we were even doing out here in this uncared-for bit of desolation at the edge of a poor town, listening to people talking nonsense for hours, and we had the words that could save them. No, my companion, a native to the country, said, We are not here to save them, we are only here to minister to them. My companion was right. We did not save. Through the grace of God, we ministered with the kind of charity that grows between strangers, and more often than not, we were the ones ministered to. End of quote. There is a difference between ministering and saving, and I believe that both both the one ministering and the one being ministered to will be met with frustration if we try to mix the two. I'll start to wrap up by saying that you are not alone. If you have questions, you are not alone. If you find yourself in a difficult position of needing to choose whether or not to remain active, you are not alone. If you feel pain because a friend or family member has left the church and that leaves you with an altered image of what you thought life would be, you are not alone. No matter what situation you are in, your feelings are real and valid, and they matter. I want to bear my testimony that I know that this ward is full of good people. I feel confident that I've had personal spiritual experiences that were meant just for me. I know that Jesus walked the earth and spent his life serving others, and I have hope in the atonement he promised us. In closing, I want to share some of the words to a beautiful song that my girls have been learning in primary. If you don't walk as most people do, some people walk away from you. But I won't. I won't. If you don't talk as most people do, some people talk and laugh at you. But I won't. I won't. Jesus walked away from none. He gave his love to everyone. So I will. I will. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. That's how I'll show my love for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Chelsea, that was an awesome talk. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, the reception of the talk, how it felt giving it? Was your heart pounding? Were you nervous?
2: I was clinging to the pulpit for dear life.
0: <laughs> I want to say leaning my, on it. My wife
3: does not like public speaking; she absolutely hates it. Um, I kept trying to hint to our bishop to give her, you know, talks when I was in the bishopric, but he never picked up on the hints. I wouldn't have dared no, give her a talk. No. She, she really dislikes it, but she's also really good at it. Well, I could
0: tell from this. Yeah, it was a really great talk. So, what was that experience like?
2: Um, it was. Gosh, you know, I, I probably used the term "roller coaster of emotions" already in in this interview, but um, that's exactly what it was from the moment I even considered approaching my bishop to ask if I could give this talk. Just um, lots of emotions. Should I do it? What will people think? Um, am I even qualified to give this talk? Where I'm not the one it's happened to, you know? Will I offend anyone? I don't want that to happen. But, I mean, the the talk is 25 minutes long. Um, so Danny actually gave the first talk in that meeting, and I had to threaten him and say, <laughs> Danny, you can have five minutes, um, but I, I can't risk this talk being cut off. I've worked and, too hard on and, it.
3: And if I can interject, a shout out to our current bishop for having the steel cojones to let me give a talk. That is yeah. probably... <laughs> I used Spanish. Like Everyone ser- knows what that means. Seriously. <laughs> we know what it is. <laughs> who would give someone who had a big long, you know, polite discussion about why I'm right and he's wrong the chance to speak about what I like about Jesus Christ? Sure. Like like that that took some bravery on his part. So kudos to him.
2: Yeah, for, I, I was I was really appreciative that he um allowed me to to give the talk. Um I think it was helpful for him that I said, Hey, you know, I was reading this book from David Osler, I really like it. I showed him the book and I, I think that helped him to feel comfortable that I promised to, to stick to what was in the book pretty closely. And I like to say that, that, uh, it's like David Osler prepared this awesome pot of chili and, and I just scooped, you know, a servings worth into a pretty bowl, added some garnishes, like, like, um, jalapenos and avocado and sour cream. And you know, just added a couple things so that it could be consumed in one sitting. Um, and I, I really just want to say, like, why I even felt the need to give this talk, even though I hate speaking. I have gone to so many lessons growing up my whole life, and the conversation turns so frequently to why people leave the church. And the answers are always, you know, they're lazy, they're too smart, they're prideful, um, they've been tricked by the devil. Uh, Whatever those answers are, they're all the same, no matter what word I've been in, they're all the same. And after this happened with Danny, you know, these lessons started cycling through again. And I started hearing these answers and I thought, oh my gosh, these are not true. These answers are not true. You know, for some people they might be, but all the people that I've talked to, all the stories that I've heard on, on your podcast, this is not true. And I just wanted to bring awareness to what is really going on, because first of all, those lessons are, they're really hard to sit through being in this situation. And I just had to step back and think what's in my power to do my power. What's in my power is to, to give a talk if, if they'll let me. And I did. And, um, you know, writing the talk, I went back and forth for months, just trying to figure out how I should phrase things. Um, you know, wrote it and rewrote it. And, you know, giving the talk itself was. It felt paralyzing. <laughs> like that, twenty-five minutes lasted an hour. I was, you know, super parched. I felt like my voice was cracking, and and you know, just leg shaking, holding onto that podium so I didn't fall down. But um, the response that I received was amazing. It it was so good. I, you know, I heard from a lot of people later. You know, someone in the in the young women's in my ward reached out to me and said, "Hey, I want you to know." the teacher dropped her lesson that she had planned for this Sunday. And we talked about your talk instead and how it's important to love people, even though they might believe differently than we do. And, and I, I was so blown away. And so it just, it was amazing. I I was, I prepared for the worst and that is not at all what I got. You know, I got lots of people asking for copies of the talk. Um, lots of people thanking me, lots of people walking up to me and saying, Hey, me too. You know, I've, I've had these struggles. I've had these questions and it's good to know that I'm not alone. And it's, and thank you for giving a more accurate picture of what's going on. And you know, the, the Bishop thanked to me for it, um, he wasn't expecting 25 minutes worth of stuff. <laughs> we, did, we did go over uh, about, I don't know, 10 minutes and he let me, really nice of him. Cause it was cutting into everyone else's class that they'd prepared for. And I just, it was such, such a good response. I I'm glad that I did it. It was, it, it was really hard. It was a lot of work, um, really terrifying,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but uh, it was just, it was so good. I was so impressed. Well, thank you for speaking up. I, I feel
1: like, um, so many times there's not enough voices that are those bridge building voices. And it's hard because I think with someone like you or I, who are, you know, understanding where our spouses are coming from, trying to bridge builders, bridge, build, build bridges. (laughs) Gosh. And then also um really loving on and wanting your ward family to understand. It's a really unique spot to be in. And there's, I feel like there are not enough people doing it. And so I'm, I'm so grateful that you were brave enough to give a talk like this. And um, obviously it was resonated with your ward because they talked about it. They asked you for your talk and everything. And so I think definitely we need as many voices as we can get. So I, I just, we really appreciate you reading that and sharing it with us. And we appreciate both of you guys for coming on.
0: Yeah. And we always want like to end the podcast with just, if, is there, is there anything else, anything that you like thought, Oh, I got to make sure to say this or any words of advice or any, anything? Yes. yes. Okay. So what you got for us?
2: I, okay. So this, this is a confession. It's not really much to do with mixed face marriage, but I just had to throw it out there. Um, I had to change the talk that I originally gave, Yeah, <laughs> I, the whole time I am writing this talk and practicing it and giving it over the oh, pulpit. Sure, sure. Oh, my hey. gosh. And and Danny never caught it either.
3: Oh, I said know.
2: we got married in the Timpanogos Temple. <laughs> we didn't. <it. laughs> we didn't. The Elker
3: Mountain Temple. I mean,
2: okay. I always knew this would come back to bite me in the butt. I just thought I'd be older when it happened. We, you know, for various different reasons, we took our pictures at Mount Timpanogos Temple. Okay. But we were not married there, and I—I I told everyone that we were, and I, <laughs> I'm really—I'm really embarrassed. But it gives oh, me—it gives me a whole new appreciation for people in church history who are like, "Oh yeah, William Clayton sealed this. Oh no, Hiram Smith sealed this. No, you know, in different, you know, like, it, it's cool. I understand.
0: Right. <laughs> no, That's so funny. I,
2: I, I understand conflicting statements now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my really embarrassing admission. Everyone knows now I forgot where I got married.
0: <laughs> Danny, so. anything, any last words from you?
3: No, I, I just, for me, I, it, it helps to remind myself that that I'm really no different from everyone I deal with. Right. Like I have the same reactions they do. We're all just human and uh,
0: being human can be hard. It can. Yeah, but Lots of fun. But lots of fun all at the same time. That's right. Especially if you've got long hair. (laughs) Well, Anderson's, thank you very much. You guys are a delight. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, I think, I think you guys are going to make it. You're thriving. We better (laughs) (laughs) work for it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks so much. And uh, we, we hope to see you soon. And once this all ends, we've got to do lunch and, and, Catch up.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Thanks for having us on. When it's
3: done,
0: we're gonna see that it was better
3: that we grew up together. Tell me you don't wanna leave, cause if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. When you're high, I'll take the lows you can ebb and I can flow. We'll take it slow and grow as we go. Grow as we go.